Welcome back to another episode of That's So dot 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 with me, Jess Bryan. That So is a monthly series here at That's So Chronic where we get the chance to dive a little bit deeper into a piece of content and talk about something that's in our That's So Chronic world, whether that be a film, a book, a TV series, an interview, literally anything and everything. I love creating these types of episodes, so it means a lot that you've tuned in to this episode today because we are going to be discussing a book titled The Invisible Kingdom by Megan O'Rourke and excitingly we even get to hear from Megan herself. Before we hear from Megan and learn a little bit more about the process and the inspiration behind writing this book, I wanted to give you a quick rundown on what it's all about, just in case you're listening to this before reading The Invisible Kingdom yourself. But don't worry, I won't give away any spoilers. But I probably should... Uh, preface all of this by just quickly saying that my copy of The Invisible Kingdom was very kindly gifted to me by Megan and her team, but of course all views are my own in this episode. The full title is The Invisible Kingdom Reimagining Chronic Illness and the book is essentially Megan's story. Now Megan is a New York Times best-selling author, a poet, an editor. One of her first jobs after graduating as a writer and a journalist from Yale University was as a fiction and non-fiction editor for The New Yorker pretty big deal. She teaches at Yale University, which we do get a bit of an insight into throughout her book, and she has won numerous awards. From my internet snooping, I discovered that Megan wrote an article for the New Yorker magazine titled What's Wrong With Me? back in August 2013. It's an amazing essay and I'll link it in the show notes so you can have a read for yourself. But it's kind of like a mini example of what you can expect in the book The Invisible Kingdom. But even with all of this background knowledge of Megan, I really wasn't prepared for what was to come inside her latest book. The Invisible Kingdom follows Megan on her journey of trying to get... I guess a diagnosis and then treatment for the series of random symptoms that are happening inside her body. Not only do we get to follow along with all of this, but Megan also breaks down and explains different medical things to us. For example, what an autoimmune disease even is, how the immune system works. That one was my particular favorite. She explained that so well. I was like, why is no one explaining it to me like this? Like, I totally understand my immune system now. Uh, She draws parallels to what we're seeing now with long COVID and some of the things that she's experienced. She explains definitions of different conditions, but she also provides a space for people who are also living with chronic illnesses, and in particular invisible illnesses, to be seen and understood. And I can only speak from my own experience, but I certainly felt less alone when I was reading this book. I laughed, like sad laughed so much at times when the medical system was doing what the medical system always does. I gasped in places when Megan went down a path that I was really not expecting when she was trying to just feel better. And I also felt like I was just, I don't know, like getting a hug 
at times. It The book felt really honest and, you know, because sometimes it's really hard to get your brain around the fact that it is your immune system that is like literally eating parts of the body that it shouldn't. And like, it's your immune system attacking your body. And that can be really hard to like get your brain around. And I felt really comforted that someone else was able to write. I guess someone was able to write down how I feel sometimes. But with saying all of this, the book really took me on an adventure. There were twists and turns that I I honestly didn't see coming. And even though it was all factual, what happened, the way Megan writes her story does keep you on your toes a little bit. The final paragraph of the blurb sums it up nicely, I think. It reads, Drawing on her own medical experiences, as well as a decade of interviews with doctors, patients, researchers, and public health experts, O'Rourke traces the history of Western definitions of illness and reveals how inherited ideas of cause, diagnosis, and treatment have led us to ignore a host of hard-to-understand medical conditions, ones that resist easy description or simple cures. And as America faces this health crisis of extraordinary proportions, the populations most likely to be neglected by our institutions include women, the working class, and people of colour. The Invisible Kingdom offers hope for the sick, solace and insight for their loved ones, and a radical new understanding of our bodies and our health. And on that note, let's get into the interview with Megan O'Rourke. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Thank you so much for being here. As I was reading your book, The Invisible Kingdom, I was writing down some notes so that I could have, you know, think of some talking points for this interview. And I think I'd opened the book. It was page one, mm. the two quotes at the beginning. And already I'm like, oh my God, I love this quote so much. <laughs> Especially the first quote, which talks about having dual citizenship for the kingdom of the well and the kingdom of the sick. I'm wondering, because I've never written a book, how on earth do you, as an author, choose the quotes that go at the beginning? Yeah. It's such a good question, and I'm really glad that they did the job they were supposed to do, yeah. which was hook you and get you excited. Um, I really wanted the, I knew the book was a complicated and ambitious book about chronic illness, and that my hope was that some of the people coming to the book would be perhaps like caretakers of people who are chronically ill or people who have friends. So I, I really did want to find epigraphs that would speak immediately to those of us who are chronically ill in some way and capture something broad about the experience, which can be so different, obviously, between among people, but also might speak to a kind of lay person who's picking the book up. And I, yeah, and so I wanted the books to be, the, the quotes rather, the epigraphs to be kind of a, I don't know, like a hook or a door into the book that might tell you quickly if you were interested. And I just love that Susan Sontag quote that I used so much because she talks about illness being the night side of life and that, you know, we all want to live in the kingdom of the well, but sooner or later, most of us end up getting a passport to the kingdom of the sick. And I thought that quote was important because it shows that illness can happen to any of us. And it reminds us of something I really care to try to dig into in the book, which is that illness is the mortal condition, right? I, I think we like as societies to kind of compartmentalize sick people, yeah. but in a way we're all sick, right? Um, I mean, in a way not, but illness is possible for all of us and all of us will be close to it 
most likely in our lives. Did that quote inspire the title of the book? Where did the title come from? It did inspire the title of the book. So titles are so hard. They are the hardest part for me. I really like to write endings. I don't like beginnings or titles. (laughs) And um, so the title was the last thing I wrote (laughs) in this book. And the quote inspired it. I was looking for a title. I wanted it to be something evocative. I'm a poet as well. And so I do tend to think imagistically and experientially. And a lot of the book is about the lived experience, the textures, the fears, the hopes, I don't know, the, the, the way symptoms can conglomerate and then disappear and intensify. That's really what the book is dealing in, is the texture of, of sickness, as well as some of the theoretical frameworks for how we got to be in a place yeah. where so many autoimmune diseases are on the rise. So I was looking for an image and I was really working with the word invisible because my primary experience of being ill was of having this profound experience, this profound challenge that no one could see. Yeah. That the experience itself was lonely, but the experience of being invisible was its own challenging reality, much harder than any pain I went to through in some ways was that no one could see it. No, few, few people in my case were recognizing it. But I didn't want the title to be a total downer either, yeah. right? So I kept thinking about invisibility. And then I was like, the kingdom of the sick. But I was like, no, I want it more. So anyway, somewhere along the way, I was thinking invisible and reading that quote. And I was like, oh, the invisible kingdom. And, you know, very long answer to your question. But the hope was that it kind of conveyed both that we are invisible and that that's, you know, this plight. But also that there's something slightly beautiful about the phrase and something hopeful in the reminder that there are many of us and together perhaps we can be seen and together perhaps through articulating our stories we can change the nature of that invisible kingdom well it was definitely not a downer for me i didn't get any negative (laughs) vibes reading the title so that's fantastic good good that's what i wanted yeah (laughs) you have obviously done a lot of research when you have started to write the book i'm curious as to how long that process took or how you even started researching for this? Oh my goodness. The research was, took so long. (laughs) I don't even know how long it took. I mean, I started writing the book in 2013 and I published it in 2022. So that's nine years. I finished, finished it in 2021. It was mostly done. And then the pandemic hit and I knew immediately that I really Well, I knew immediately that something like long COVID might emerge because the book reports on the research of all of these people who study the ways in which some chronic illnesses like autoimmune diseases may partly be triggered by viruses and bacterial infections. And so a big part of the book is about infection-associated conditions, as some researchers call them. So Fast forward to 2020 and the virus and arrives in the United States. And I thought, oh, oh, you know, there's going to be an acute pandemic, but there might well be, you know, epidemic of chronic illness. And so I added another year or two of research. It's very hard to say, where do you begin? You begin with something that, you know, everyone has read or everyone's, you know, in my case, I was both reading books like Susan Sontag's book, Illness as Metaphor, that many people had talked to me about. And then I, you kind of follow out footnotes and references and you read around and you read around. And for me, it's a little like a bird building a nest. I'm just going around and I'm kind of collecting things that interest me and that help me articulate what I want to say. And then there was a part of the research that was talking to researchers and really learning about things that are happening in healthcare today. And that, again, is you talk to one researcher, you're interested in their work, you get 
you sort of follow the trail. Yeah. Yeah. But it could go on forever. I mean, yeah. I could easily, I'm, st- I'm still researching and learning. <laughs> yeah. You did such a great job at articulating some of these points. There was one particular moment that I loved and I've still, I finished your book last week and I've still been thinking about it this week as well. It's when you're talking about brain fog. And I think you say mm. a line where you're like, when you're reading this, your mind might just slip over this term, unless, of course, you've suffered from it as well. Then, of course, you know what this is. Yeah. How did you even begin the process to try and describe some of these terms that people living with chronic illness know all too well? But, yeah, I can't even imagine what that challenge must have been like to try and explain that. So hard, right? I mean, I think this is one of the challenges we face, those of us who live with some of these diseases that are characterized by what are often called vague or subjective (laughs) symptoms, although they're really not vague when you're experiencing them, Um, but symptoms like fatigue and brain fog and pain, which, you know, it's not like there's a little needle that they can stick in you and find the reading on your brain fog, right? So it's, it's, it's really left to patients to try to describe and testify to these. And I think medicine is almost inherently if not skeptical, just sort of ill-prepared to, and sometimes quite skeptical of our testimony, right? So it was a really important part of the book for me that I try to show that, that these are real and actually quite debilitating symptoms that we lack a framework for, but nonetheless, this is what they do to our lives. Yeah. And, and that's what I, I really tried to do. But I was very aware that when I say, as you just quoted, when I say brain fog to someone, it just, yeah. you say fatigue to someone and they think, oh, I've been tired. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we're also dealing with this problem of language, which is that we actually don't have a, vo- a vocabulary or a narrative that's a popular narrative that helps people understand the severity of these diseases. One patient I interviewed was said something like, you know, it's like thinking that Ebola is the same thing as the common cold because they're both viruses to think that the fatigue of autoimmune disease or long COVID or fibromyalgia or Lyme disease is like the fatigue of not sleeping enough one night. Yeah. Not only are you explaining some of these, like you mentioned, quite vague terms, but you're also explaining more of the I guess like you're explaining in particular for me I was like so amazed at your explanation of the immune system so you're also explaining some of these quite technical parts of the body as well have you always been interested in medical things like if I had gone back you know 20 years ago would you have ever thought that you would write a book like this no absolutely (laughs) not I mean it's it's funny I started my career um, in journalism and writing as an editor as an assistant and then as an editor at the New Yorker and I was laughing because thinking back I was like 24 I was an English major in college I wrote poems you know I thought I would go to graduate school in English I knew nothing about I mean I'd (laughs) taken biology obviously and I'd studied pretty seriously but I really knew nothing and they gave me to edit the two medical science writers So I had had to learn in my 20s, like really quickly how to, you know, what are some of the rules around translating complicated science for a popular audience? So I did have that experience from being an editor of, you know, how do we take medical complexity and turn it into a story? But oh my God, that is part of why the book took so long to write was 
how dare I, you know, I think it was quite inhibiting for a while, which is, you know, how dare I, a mere lay person, have views on all of this and, and dare to synthesize it. But what enabled me and kind of um, empowered me or drove me to do it was that I realized that so many of us who get sick, like you, start to learn. We, we are yeah. driven to learn about it. We, out of necessity, have to start learning, talking to people and these these. These conditions have been so silenced and rendered invisible that we have to build our own knowledge base. And so at one point, I realized, you know, I have to finish the book and hand it in, even if there's some mistakes in the technical section on the immune tech system, <laughs> which I hope they're not, right? I fact-checked everything, but I realized I had to give myself permission to make a mistake if I did, because I'm not a scientist, but I am a patient with a serious interest in and a training in reporting and learning and talking to scientists. So we need the stories that we can tell, right? And But that was a hard part. That was a hard to give myself permission to tell this story. It's so interesting that you say that because even recently in the last couple of months, I've even had a nurse say to me, oh, I think the problem is now that you just know too much. You know too wow. much now about this. And that's why this you're making this a big deal kind of thing. Well, and it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, the patient versus medical professional perspective, which you do yeah. speak to quite a bit in your book as well. And I think when I was reading it, I just felt so seen and I just felt so not alone when I was reading your words. And I'm curious if anyone has said anything like that to you. Like, what has the reaction been from the chronic illness community or just from the community in general? What has the response yeah. been? Yeah, I'm going to tear up a little bit, Jess, but um, that means so much to me. It's why I wrote the book. And it has been incredible, I think, over the past two it's now been two months. Just I get emails every day, yeah. sometimes many emails a day from people saying, I have never felt so seen. This is the first time I feel that anyone has put my experience to words, you know, yes, you've nailed it or laughing. You know, that's what I love when people are like the dark humor of laughing at yeah. some of the same rabbit holes we've gone down or like somehow thinking it's my own fault for, you know, getting stressed while I'm late to catch the butt. All the strange internal narratives that we put ourselves through. So yeah, I am hearing from just a tremendous number of people. And I think it's been incredibly moving and actually healing for me too, because I too was lonely and felt yeah. unseen. And so to know that the book articulated something larger than my own experience is really important to me. And that was the goal. The goal was to tell my story because it is one of millions. And in fact, it's one of the luckier ones. And so now I have to use my voice to try to talk, you know, in whatever ways, each of our stories is different, but I wanted to try to capture some things about the experience. So thank you. That means a lot to me. Speaking of laughing at moments, I had such mm -hmm. a chuckle at the moment where you were trying to find your medical records. And I laughed <laughs> so much at the facts thing because here in New Zealand, it's just the same. Only recently, like a couple of years ago, I remember getting some results sent because with um, COVID, I was having to isolate and be in lockdown in a city different to yeah. the hospital where I normally go because I got stuck mm. on different side of the country oh, no. and oh, no. some yeah. results got sent to the local medical practice and I rang them up and I was like oh well I really need those results sent to Auckland where I'm supposed to be 
could you please like forward the email or like send them on? They're like, no, we only do fax here. I'm like, it's 2020. Why are we still doing faxes? <laughs> like, who even knows what a fax is anymore? Yeah. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's the last holdout of the fax <laughs> yeah. medical system. Oh. I mean, it's funny and it's tragic, isn't it, Jess? Right? Yeah. It's actually like hard to do the things we need to do, which is you know, you touched on the doctor patient relationship and that's just a piece of it, but it's a significant piece when, sorry, um, when we feel we can't easily get information. And then there's the whole complication of just making ourselves heard and believed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is such a personal story that you're mm-hmm. sharing with us. And there's even a moment where I think you say something along the lines of, oh, I wish I I could leave this bit out. I, I wish I didn't have to explain what's going on now, but this is part of the story. What has that been like, opening yourself up and being so vulnerable and sharing this personal story with the world? It was really scary. You know, I think, again, it's part of why I probably held on, I sort of held on to the book a little bit longer than I needed to, uh, obsessed about it for the last year, but didn't really change that much. Yeah, I think I was really scared. And I I had a remarkable moment the first week of doing publicity where I've written about chronic illness for a long time. I've written for The New Yorker and The Atlantic starting in 2013. So I thought of myself as someone who felt comfortable being public about my illness experience. But that first week when I was on the radio and I did some TV and I realized, oh, no, I'm not really being public. And I'm also sharing things that I've never shared before. It was scary. And I realized that in my daily life, and I don't know if this is like this for you, but I do a lot of coping where even the people closest to me don't know. I mean, and I will say to my husband sometimes like, oh, I'm really in pain today, or I'm really dizzy today, I'm struggling, or I'm having a brain fog day. But it kind of just skates past him at this point a little. I mean, he's sympathetic, (laughs) but it's, it's ordinary to him. And it's still extraordinary to me. And I think what publishing the book reminded me of is how vulnerable so many of us feel professionally and personally, even even when we're in pretty secure spots. And uh, that was how I felt suddenly was like, oh, God, is this going to be bad for my future, you know, employment? You know, I really did have that moment. Yeah. Of, I thought I'd prepared myself and then feeling scrutinized was really scary. And I felt like people would judge me and, uh, you know, who knows, right? So yeah, it was intense and scary. And I think that the, I had to really cling to this book is for the people who will find meaning from it. Yeah. yeah. I had seen some interviews with you in the past and I honestly perhaps went in with an expectation. And you also mm-hmm. write that in the book, you know, people go in with these expectations of what is going to happen. Right. You had me on the edge of my seat. I <laughs> did not see some of the things coming <laughs> that have happened to you or the journey where you right. have gone down. Right. It was just, it was exciting <laughs> as well. You know, it's, it's not like all doom and gloom and yeah. just trying yeah. to, you know, like it's, it is a really engaging book thank and I you. really enjoyed it. So thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I did try to write it like a detective story. I love detective stories. Yeah. And so I did try to write it as a, a kind of quest and a, Because, you know, for those of us who are sick, right, I wanted to keep us company and explain some of it, but I also wanted to be engaging and pleasurable to read, right? And um, also, I think, to give you the experience of, like, learning more about our bodies and how we ended up here, because there's some things that are very strange about our current medical system, and they don't have to be that way. And it's really interesting how we got here. So, yeah, thank you. I tried to... it's supposed to have some jokes and some suspense and yeah. <laughs> some hopeful moments. <laughs> 
yeah it was fantastic yeah if you could go back and say anything to Megan who is still searching for a diagnosis is there anything you would say to her yeah I would say trust yourself you know, I really doubted myself when, in my case, my story is one of um, having been met with a lot of disbelief and kind of benign neglect. You know, I didn't have mean doctors, but they just sort of thought I was neurotic and probably fine and just someone who worried too much. And I took that at face value. And, I, and going back, I would say, no, trust yourself. You, you're, you're right that you're really not feeling the way other people feel. And, you know, pace yourself, take your time. It can be grueling trying to get answers and trying to do treatments. Yeah. And uh, the thing that's so hard, you know, for me, Jeff, is um, have compassion for yourself. You know, it's been a really humbling, it's been a really humbling experience. I know it sounds really cliched, but it really has been an experience of learning my own limitations and trying to embrace them. And, you know, I'm now middle-aged. I have two kids, you know, I'm in my forties, let's say. (laughs) That's true. I am in my 40s. Um, And I have two kids. And I think a big part of, and I teach, and I think a big part of my teaching to students who are, you know, nothing to do with illness, they're all, you know, English students, et cetera, learning English, writing students. I I just see them being so hard on themselves, especially young women. And I do try to say, you know, we really have to learn how to say no and be compassionate. I know this is so hokey, but it's really true. So that's what I would say to myself. Yeah. Amazing. It's been just over a month since The Invisible Kingdom has hit shelves. What's next for you? Do you have any exciting plans coming up for 2022? I am taking the summer to take my kids to the pool with a big stack of books and read a lot. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm hoping that I have a book in mind that I want to write and I'm hoping it starts to gel for me, but it's in the really pleasurable inchoate dreamy stage where I'm not actually writing so that's the hope is that starts to gel into a a book and maybe I'll be back talking to you again a few years (laughs) maybe (laughs) amazing thank you so much Megan for chatting with me today thank you so much Jess for having me I devoured the invisible kingdom on a Sunday afternoon on the couch and I would give this book Five out of five stars. I recommend this book not just for people who are also living with a chronic or invisible illness, but also for people who would like a little bit of an insight into why patients say that the system is broken and why people appear as though they'll literally stop at nothing to try and get better. Wherever you're listening to this podcast episode from, you should be able to find a copy of Megan's The Invisible Kingdom wherever you normally buy your books. And if you're in New Zealand, I've done a little bit of digging for you. You can purchase a copy online. You can find it on the Kindle app as well as on Google Books. But there are also a bunch of copies at different libraries in Auckland as well as on the Libby app with an Auckland library card. And it's currently on order at the Christchurch Library, I believe. You can like log in online and request request a hold on that book. I think there's like maybe four people already have on hold. But yeah, 
it, it should be at the Christchurch Library soon. You can find Megan on social media. I'll link all of her handles in the show notes. You can go and find her on Twitter, Instagram, all the things. Like I said at the beginning, these episodes, honestly, they bring me so much joy. I love being able to highlight some of the content out there that I think you would enjoy, which reminds me, if you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy the monthly That's So Chronic newsletter. You can sign up to that in the link in the show notes. And also in the show notes will be the link to find me over on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at That's So Chronic. While my copy of The Invisible Kingdom was kindly gifted, this episode was in no way sponsored. However, if you would like to sponsor an episode (laughs) or you have something that you think would fit in nicely here in a That's So episode, don't be afraid to reach out, send me an email, drop into my DMs. I would love to hear from you. And I think that's enough from me. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Okay, I lied. I'm actually back. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, why not leave a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts? That would be really amazing. Okay, thank you. Bye.